1: Another episode of On the Road Edition, hosted by Stevie Kim. Each week, she travels to incredible wine destinations, interviewing some of the Italian wine scene's most interesting personalities, talking about wines, the foods, as well as the incredible travel destinations.
0: Okay, hi, hello, Costante, Barberini wine. Hello, Alta Regia, Rosmarino, I know her. Oh my God, is this Costa Tonis? Are you Costas Tonis? Can someone check out who Costas? No, it's this other dude wants to go live with me. Hey, Andrea! Hello. You know, some other dude wanted to connect. I was confused. I thought. You... Oh no, it wasn't me. Like Costas Tonis. Hey, dude. No, nope, no. I, I don't understand. Okay, you guys, we're doing these two great lines right here. Andrea,
1: how are you? Fantastic. How are you? You've a- had a haircut. I know. You've cut your hair. Yeah, it's wow. actually grown
0: already. My hair grows like really fast. It'll be like yours like next time I see it. We'll <laughs> Fantastic. Listen, the background, <laughs> is that your is that a
1: window? Is that a picture? It's not even a virtual background. It's like a painting that I have in the background. This is in the sweatland because I'm actually sitting in the office right now. So okay. that is the vineyard. It's uh, some old vine Grenache Blanc that we have. Listen. Thank you so much for doing this. I know you're like
0: you're right now doing your
1: winemaking, right?
0: You're in the yeah, it's, it's
1: right in the middle of harvest. We're about ninety percent done with all the white grapes, and we are working on all the red wines right now for the Swartland. And then we have another project as well that's uh, mostly Stellenbosch Cabernet and and Chardonnay. So that's a little bit later. Okay. So listen, I'm here with a bunch of people. I
0: don't know. Okay. They're called my tasting panel, okay. So I have like one serious person and then some others not so serious. They're actually, I'm much more technically challenged in terms of wine than they are. So let me just quickly introduce you to my tasting panel. So we have Rebecca, she's a huge fan of yours. She's our WSET in-house educator and also Italian wine ambassador. Hi. She's our in-house Anologist. She used to work for this crazy guy like Luca Gardini. I don't know if you know him. This is Lan. He is our Benito International Academy Coordinator. This is Edlena. Elena is from Siberia. She's in charge. Okay. And then Franco is our WSET APP Coordinator. And then Jacopo. I have no idea what he does. He's actually my classmate. Incredible palette. Okay, he's, being, he's doing the WSET Diploma with me right now, but also our <laughs> Italian wine ambassador and Shao Lan, am, yeah. <laughs> She's also my classmate from WSET Diploma. There you go. So, tell us a little bit about your winery, you know, a little bit of an overview, your obsession with this schist and granite and just, I guess, the geology of Swartland in general. I know it's a lot, but if you can do it in a compact way before we start tasting the wines.
1: Sure. Well, I just have to go one step back first. So most people will hear I don't have a South African accent. I did grow up in California. and I, know, I was drawn to terrible.
0: You have that Californian <laughs> accent.
1: <laughs> but um, I was drawn to South Africa, to be honest, just from my gut and my heart first. And when I arrived in the country and I realized just the amazing wines, amazing people but the amazing terroir of the country is just what really drew me in got under my nails and has kept me here so i arrived in the country in 2004 and in 2007 the person who i was going to marry and i decided to start melanie wines uh we got married later in 2007 but uh do you say the name melanie i've been saying melanie It's been South Africanized to Mulanu, so it would have been originally from the place Mulano, so watermill. So it's a Huguenot name. And in South Africa, there's a big history of Huguenot immigration into South Africa. And yeah, but it was changed, you know, just from generations of immigration to Mulanu, where it dropped a few letters. So Mulanu does come from Mulano, which means watermill. And that is why the millstone is our logo on the label. But also the Swartland, which is known for grape amazing vineyards, but 50 years ago was known more for its grain production and is still the breadbasket of South Africa. So between the vineyards on the mountains, in the valleys and between wheat, oats and other grains. And so also that link, that millstone is sort of our link of our family name, but also because of the wheat history in South Africa as well.
0: So this and man you followed, Is he, are you married to the same man or another one?
1: Yes, yes. So we, it's a funny story there before I talk about the Swartland, So I was drawn to South Africa first. I always think that's a very important topic. And then I left and was working in the south of France in chateauneuf de Pop and was on a train to Champagne. And that's actually where I met my husband who happened to be South African. So we came back to South Africa together, and then decided to start the winery. I only
0: hear of these stories, like in movies, like it's so romantic and all this, you know, <laughs> setting, you know, from Chateau and Champagne and all that. Listen,
1: you know, I'll make it a chapter <laughs> in my autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> But we neither of us came from winemaking backgrounds. My grandparents were Italian American immigrants, um, oh, you're and so wine. You, you did tell me that. Yeah, my grandmother's from the Veneto, so I think. Uh, oh my god! Yeah. So, but I didn't come from a winemaking family, neither did my husband. But I grew up, you know, with wine, art, music, culture, everything. Travel was all part of what I grew up with, and so I was very drawn to the wine industry from a very young age. Um, until I was seventeen, I wanted to be an astronaut and then uh, wanted to be a winemaker. You so. weren't very
0: ambitious at all. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Excuse <laughs> me on my toes. So the reason why we were drawn to the Swartland, though, was because of the soil. So because we didn't come from winemaking backgrounds, we had a blank slate of what we could accomplish. We didn't have to fulfill anyone else's dreams. It was just our own dreams. and. The Swartland has some of the oldest viticultural soils in the world. They're up to about 400 million years old. People think, okay, dirt and rocks and soil, it's all earth. It all came from the same time, but it actually doesn't. 400 million-year-old soils in the Swartland, whereas in Europe, a lot of the soils are very young, pushed up off the ocean floor, or what's happening in Sicily right now, you know, volcanoes making new soil. And so the old soils of the Swartland allow for very large areas of single soil types. So we work with four main soil types, granite, schist, iron, and quartz soils. And we're not talking about, you know, in a vineyard the size of a a living room in Burgundy, for example, you can have like five different soil types in that area because it's younger soils. But we're talking about 10 square kilometers of single soil types. So we feel that we can give very pure expressions of and of Syrah on those soil types. Listen, just one quick questions
0: before we start tasting the wines. What is the state of the art of the alcohol ban? Has it been lifted and how has it impacted the wineries? What is going on right now? Because I remember originally we even signed that petition on your behalf yes. and
1: then it was lifted and then it was reinforced again. Thank you for helping and for everyone who has supported us through that. We're now in the fourth phase of an alcohol ban. The original alcohol ban was not just prohibition, but it actually prevented us from doing any sales of wine at all, including exports. So the wine industry was completely shut down for the first nine weeks. This is all COVID-related in South Africa. There is a history of alcohol abuse, and to help curb using up too many hospital beds, for example, they decided a complete blanket ban on alcohol and other substances that might make people more susceptible to going to the hospital. But what they didn't consider was encouraging responsible drinking, that allowing exports, and that the wine industry... Wine is an agricultural product, it's not just alcohol. It's consumed with food, it's part of the culture. So there was a lifting of for exports, but all in all, if you add up all the bans and all the days that we have not been allowed to sell, it's been about forty percent of the year's worth of sales days that we've had alcohol banned for. So it's been absolutely devastating for the industry and all the knock on as well. You know, it's not just about the winery who's selling bottles. You know, we have forty employees and about two hundred dependents oh, of shit. those employees in total. So and that's just us but then it comes down to the bottle suppliers the people who print labels you know and all their employees it's a very long chain reaction not to mention the farm workers as well that it's been affecting so we're working with closely with the government to show that you know we are encouraging responsible consumption and that yeah wine is a cultural and agricultural product it's not booze per se
0: but right now there's still the alcohol ban is that correct
1: yeah, it's it's been partially lifted. We have uh, restricted hours and days in which we're allowed to trade, but luckily restaurants are allowed to sell alcohol again with food okay. because yeah. that was that was very heavily restricted for a long time so the restaurants have been also terribly suffering.
0: Okay. Wine to wine business forum. Everything you need to get ahead in the world of wine. Supersize your business network. Share business ideas with the biggest voices in the industry. Join us in Verona on November 13 to 14, 2023. Tickets available now at Pointwine.net. Alright, so listen, we're going to start tasting the wines. If there's anything else we can do to help the industry, let us know. Of course, we're always, you know, open to that. We want to help other wine industries in general, and especially women winemakers like yourself. So we're going to be tasting two wines today. De Clouf. I hope I said that correctly. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah, 5th Street Chenin Blanc, and that is the old wine. And then, of course, your other signature wine, um, Schist, Chirap, Roundstone. So I guess we'll, of course, taste the first wine. By the way, listen, I think if every winery had your website i think it's such a benchmark website congratulations i would Thank recommend you. any winery to go to your website because it has absolutely everything everything for everyone there's this special section dedicated to trade journalist where you can just get the text sheets the labels the bottle picks etc and then just generic information as well and then i love the wine club as well that you've installed is that doing well has that been it, successful, the wine club?
1: It is. It has been fantastic for us. Obviously, it's, it's been wonderful having, you know, a, you know, closer interactions with our direct to consumer channels. It allows just better interaction, you no know, question and answer. Um, they get special wines that we make only for the wine club. So anything experimental, or if I'm bottling a single variety that normally goes into a blend, but people want to know what Claret Blanche tastes like on its own, that's what we have the wine club for. So it's It's definitely more of a geeky style wine club in terms of people who really want to learn, but at the same time, for people who just want the romance, just want some special bottles, it works great for that too.
0: Yeah, so who does your wine website? I mean,
1: have you got an agency or do you do it yourselves? Is it in-house? Thank you. Yeah, no, we, we spend a lot of time on it. So... Obviously from a design point of view, we have someone that helps us with it, but all the content is ourselves. Listen, really great. I love your website.
0: There you go. Thank you so much. Go go have a look at the benchmark website how-to. Okay, let's taste our first wine. What would you like to tell us about your Chenin Blanc?
1: Sure. So Chenin Blanc is a very important variety in South Africa. In all of South Africa, there's about 17,000 hectares planted, so it's about twice that of the Loire. One of the reasons why Chenin used to be called steen, which means stone, is that reason. Is the cornerstone of South African wine. So it previously, even as recently as maybe 15 years ago, used to be known for making of dry, but like with too much sunshine, too much. They weren't very interesting wines before about 15, 20 years ago. And in the last 20 years, there's been a huge renaissance of Chenin Blanc in South Africa, you know, making more dry styles, but you still need to taste that sunshine and South African Chenin is all about texture, not coming from residual sugar, but coming from the sun itself. You need to have those apple, pear influences in it, but also that minerality that comes naturally with Chenin Blanc. Kloof Street is the name of the street we lived on when we started the winery, and a Kloof is just a small little valley. So almost every town in South Africa has a Kloof Street. It tends to be the lower streets of each town, and yeah, Chenin Blanc. So it's old vine Chenin Blanc. So we really believe that old vines do make amazingly weathered vines in that, you know, they can survive from year to year much easier than young vines. We're a very warm, dry climate. Old vines, I mean, our oldest vineyards that we're working with date back to, well, the year 1900 that have never been irrigated wow. um, and have seen droughts, have seen wet years, have seen incredible changes from year to year. And they weather the storm the same way an experienced person, they don't get stressed out as easy because they know that they're going to get through it. The vineyards in this particular wine are about 45 years old. Bush vine, dry land, vineyards, all things that we think really just exude what we're looking for in South African wine, which is texture, but purity as well. Listen, do you, Andrea, do you see the question from
0: Gerald Baum, 1977? What type of fruits do you get on your on gravelly rocky soils, most important in your wines?
1: So in terms of like, what characters am I picking up?
0: I guess you said it like apple, pear, I think that's what he's referring to.
1: Yeah, we tend to get like white fruit like that, so like apple and pear. And in our riper sites, it's a good segue into talking about the soils. So on the granite soils that we work with, and this Cliff Street wine is grown mostly on granite soil. It's deep and well-drained, and so, in a dry climate, the roots can get really deep as well. And because vines always want to reflect above the ground, what's happening below the ground, if you have deep well-drained soil, the roots can get really deep. And so you get more shade in the canopy in the fruit growing area. So that means that on granite soils, we tend to get more white fruit, more purity, more linearity. But on our schist soils, we actually get the opposite. On schist soils, the roots can never get as deep. So the vine is more compact. The leaf area is smaller, but also the bunches are smaller. And you get, therefore, then more sunshine coming through the canopy or the leaf growing area. So for white grapes grown on schist soils, you tend to taste more more yellow fruit, so more peach direction of fruit when it's on the schist soils. Listen, I'm
0: going to cast you on to show And let me just give you, usually I have a prop for like every winemaker. This is what I found in my office here. I don't know if you can see. In honor of your old
1: vine gorgeous that was the best oh my goodness did. i love that okay. <laughs> i love that hi andrea so yeah, like sputland is a very famous for its dry found old one expression so can you share with us some first-hand experience how the grapes looks like and how the wine tastes like like some general characteristics yeah absolutely so When you have dry land, yield or the amount of grapes you're going to get mustn't be a priority because when you have dry land vineyards in a drought ridden climate, you're gonna have very low yields. So meaning that there's not a lot of fruit per vine. So we typically get around four tons a hectare on our dry land vineyards. So that means that the vines don't produce as much fruit per vine, but it's all that flavor is concentrated into that fruit that you have and so you do get wines with more texture and more flavor concentration you know even at lower ripeness levels they don't need to be high in alcohol to have flavor concentration and texture for me is very important in the wines that come out of old vines you know oftentimes when people talk about food they talk about if they don't like you know a particular food item it's because they don't like the texture of it and people don't talk about texture enough when it comes to even liquid products like wine so texture for me is the most important thing in the wine, coming from old vines for what to look for. And then in terms of how the vineyards look, it's all bush vine, so goblet, and that creates an umbrella over the vineyard. So it means that no matter what time of day, whether it's you know morning or afternoon, it doesn't matter which way the vineyard row is going, because bush vines, there aren't really rows. <laughs> so what you end up getting is dappled light all day long instead of more intense light in the morning or more intense light in the afternoon. So for us to protect from the intensity of the sunshine is very important, but we don't want full shade, but the diffused light is the most important.
0: Okay, great. We have about nine more minutes. So I think we should go into the second line. So this is like, you make a very small production here on your sheet says four thousand eight hundred and twelve bottles. <laughs> so very small, small scale production. Tell us about this it's kind of your signature wine, right? I mean Ovine, yes, but also cheese is kind of like your thing. So tell us about this yeah. wine. When it started, also a little bit of the background. Then.
1: Great. So, as I mentioned, we we only started the winery in 2007, so we're still um, a new winery, I mean, relatively speaking. And we're noticing from the beginning of how much of a chameleon of terroir Syrah is, and how immensely different on the different soil types Syrah is. So, as I mentioned earlier, from granitic soils, more linearity and more purity, from iron soils, iron are rich red gravelly soil So it makes all things mid-palate in the wine. Um, you get more of those characteristics of like hemoglobin and tin tomato, just roundness on the palate. And then the schist for me is, is the most exciting one because as I mentioned with white grapes that grow on schist soils, it's smaller roots and a smaller canopy. So it's more like a bonsai vine in a way. They're smaller vines with smaller bunches tiny berries and thicker skins. And I absolutely love these vines because they're survivors. They have completely adapted to the environment to grow in the way that they need to. So on the Schist soils, we get more density, more brooding, but I'm not trying to make a big jammy wine by any means. When I talk about density, it still needs to be balanced and purity. It needs to be sophisticated still. I don't want to make a over the top wine. So I want to express the Schist soil type with the density relative to the granite and to the iron, but still make something balanced and pure and fragrant. On the schist soils, we tend to get the darkest fruit, so moving more into blueberries and blackberries, but also like dark purple violets, so very aromatic on the nose as well, with a bit of that pepperiness that is so beautiful about Syrah. So we started doing the single soil wines, uh, the single terroir wines in 2010. And the idea in South Africa, where on these vineyards, all other aspects of terroir being given equal, so the people in the vineyard, the the rainfall, the age of the vineyards, the microbes, all the things that make up terroir are actually the same, as much as can be controlled, except for the soil itself. And that's why we're very proud to put schist very big on the label, schist being a baked slate.
0: Listen, there's a question coming in from one of the audience, Lisa Chimolin Sommelier. This goes back to Shanine, but can you tell us the relationship between consistency in wine and old vines?
1: Uh, I'm wondering if she's
0: referencing
1: like young versus old vines. I I believe so because. Okay, so young vines we absolutely adore because you cannot have young vines, you can't have old vines without having young vines. But young vines tend to show vintage variation much more. So when you're a teenager, you're full of energy and, you know, you grow really fast. And You're still a, a teenager. A lot, <laughs> <laughs> like a lot to say and a lot louder. And it's the same with vines. Young vines make more fruit. They grow faster, but they haven't weathered life as much. So when a drought comes, they take it a lot worse. Or if it's a wet year, they show dilution but with old vines you actually get more consistency from year to year so you still absolutely show vintage variation you're going to taste if it's a warm year or cooler year absolutely but the vines don't fluctuate as much doesn't drop all of its fruit naturally because it's so dry it's much more uh, resistant to disease vines almost have a memory and a metabolism uh uh, sorry i can't think of the word right now (laughs) when you're resistant to disease themselves. And the older the vines, the more resilient they actually are to the fluctuations.
0: Oh, there's another question, but I don't think we can get to that today. Could you tell us just a few things about amazing Olerace and New Passant range as well? Before Costas Lonis, forgive me, I butchered your name. I think we have another question from our tasting panel, and then we'll see if we have time for Costas Lonis. Uh, Hi, Andrea. I just... Was really interested in the fact that you're not using any yeast any commercial yeast obviously um and not doing anything really with racking finding filtering no other agents so how do you maintain the consistency that an international market expects specifically with things like you know shannon and syrah which can be a little bit volatile
1: yeah so for me so the indigenous yeast for me is 100 percent, the most important factor of this you know even though my title is the winemaker it's that yeast that's making the wine and with indigenous yeast you're not just using one yeast that you would get from a packet it's a minimum of you know probably seven to fifteen different types of yeast that are taking the fermentation through and each of those is giving a different character when it comes to the stabilization of the wine i think i heard you say minimal or no racking. Racking actually is very important with the wine um, and being as clean as possible with that and also racking on more optimal days. I really pay attention to atmospheric pressure, barometric pressure and days of high air pressure where you know it's clear air and especially cold in the winter. When people talk about biodynamics, which is a very important topic, there is a scientific connection as well. And so looking at weather patterns and natural cycles of nature is actually incredibly important for not just making a natural wine, but just making more pure wines. And by racking the wines on higher air pressure days, especially when it's cold, it settles the lees much more because there's no gas coming out of the lees. And so I tend to try and rack, you know, taking the wine off the lees on days like that, and leaving as much behind as I need to, to make sure that it's clean. Because for me, I don't mind if a wine has a bit of, you know, volatility and maybe is a little bit funky, but I don't want a faulty wine. Yeah. Um, well, I want the wine that you're drinking there in Italy, or if somebody is in Hong Kong or New York city, I want it to be the same expression that I put into the bottle. So yeah, the wines might not be, you know, if you looked under a microscope, maybe not 100% perfect, but they are stable wines. Awesome. Thank
0: you. That's great. If you want to answer Costalonis is quickly. Just comment. A sure. Shortly. Because then then we're going to so, close.
1: So say is a. So I also make a straw wine from Chenin Blanc, like a pasito from Chenin Blanc, and the say is a fractional blending of it. So a Solera style, but we're not allowed to say Solera, so I call it Aleraise. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's a fantastic expression of straw wine made from Chenin Blanc. And the Liu Passant is a winery that we started based in a region called Franschuk, which is about one hour south of the Swartland. And that is focusing on not just some of the oldest vineyards in South Africa. But but is that a JV? uh, What's JV? Uh, Joint Venture. Uh, Yes. Yeah. And it's focusing on, sorry, also the older winemaking style. So going back to the way they made wine in the middle of the last century in South Africa. So uh, making more oxidative style of Chardonnay and doing a Cab and so blend, which is the style of wine that they used to make in South Africa post Phylloxera until about the 1990s. And then it almost disappeared. And now there's this kind of renaissance of looking back at the way wines used to be made that were truly South African and weren't trying to copy styles from other parts of the world. So that's where Leopassant is focused. Great,
0: listen, just one last question. How would you compare your wine with wines in terms of stylistically from the Northern Rhone, for example?
1: So it's interesting because in South Africa, we are allowed to say Syrah or Shiraz. Um, There's no rule. And people who make Syrah tend to be more inspired by more classically styled Syrahs, like from the Northern Rhone. So focusing a bit more on purity, on freshness, on balance. And people who say Shiraz tend to make more, maybe fruit forward, maybe more new oak, for example. So we feel that we're more inspired by the Northern Rhone. And Any so particular therefore we, um, area? Uh, <laughs> so for me, like Cote tea would be more, more of a the benchmark area for us, especially with the the Schist soils being similar to Cote tea in terms of the soil. And so if people ever compare our wines to the Northern Rhone. And they're like, oh, it reminds me a lot of the Northern Rhone. And I'll be like, oh, well, did you realize it's actually the same soil type? Whereas our granite soils are maybe more Hermitage style. But it's not that we're trying to copy a style. It's that the consumer is actually subconsciously tasting those differences in soils.
0: Great. Thank you so much. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to do the tasting notes and then we'll publish them so that we can also share with our students and everybody else. It is obviously more WSET style tasting notes because we're trying to standardize all the notes for especially the Italian wines for everybody. So thanks again and everyone, ciao.
1: Thank you. Thank you everyone for your support and enjoy the wines. Okay. Ciao. And hope to see you really, 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 really soon.